0: No, c'est ce que je disais, oui, bois s'est c'est de la blague. Après tout, tout débou, il n'y a qu'à s'intéresser aux choses et les trouver belles. time has come. Catherine Bigelow! This and some of the other nice things that have happened to me in the last couple of days may turn me into some sort of hopeful optimist and ruin my whole life.
1: Spoil! I remember quite clearly it was 1946 and I was four years old my mother took me to see King Vidor's duel in the sun. All I know is that first you've
2: got to get mad. You've got to say I'm a human being. God damn it. My
0: life has value. Babel
2: Alejandro
0: González Iñárritu.
1: Uh, I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. Al film italiano Deserto Rosso di Michelangelo.
0: It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them, and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math.
1: Three artists in the presentation of the pump board Adele, Lea, and Abdel Akin and, and all of that, here in Eλλάδα, they
3: want to enjoy.
0: Hi everybody, welcome to the Filmotomy Podcast, episode 62. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing independent cinema. Uh, so this is going to be a very long podcast. We might be here for a while. <laughs> so uh, joining me today, I've got Robin. Hello. Hello, Robin. I've got Joel. Hi, everybody. I've got uh, Doug. Hi, everyone. And last but not least, it's Aaron. Hey there. Oh uh, hi everybody. Um, before we sort of get into the nitty gritty uh, world of independent cinema and the history of it and uh, our favourite films, etc., etc., uh, let's try and let's try and determine what a, what we mean by an independent film. Does anyone want to give me their definition?
2: Well, I'll say unofficially. I think people will would probably say it's like low budget, low budget film. But I think we're talking about films that are not by the big, um, you know, the main studios. We're talking about films made outside of that, I, I suppose. If, yeah. but I, I think if
3: people think low budget, not a lot of money, which is which is kind of true. I'd probably go in on that uh, outside the studio system definition i think that's a pretty good one but even that there get to be some sort of blurring of lines like you know is something like american zoetrope that you know that francis ford coppola came out with that ended up being its own kind of studio on its own yeah. you know or the films that come out of that or even even miramax you know that came a lot of the movies that we think about as being these great indie films like miramax ended up being a pretty big you know, studio on its own. Even now we've got something like A24. Like, do you consider the movies that come out of those indies, even though that studio is kind of influential now? They're smaller budgets and all that. So there's some blurring of lines, but I think it, for me, it's, yeah, anything out of that major studio system.
0: What's the sort of first film that pops into your head when you think of the word indie? Not Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, definitely not Spielberg.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started.
2: <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's story. He worked at a video store. He wanted to make a film, so he wrote he wrote the screenplay. He was frustrated, and he chased up. He got his, his producer to chase for money. And then he sold a script, True uh, Romance. And then he got to make this on a little budget with that lo- no location, you know, and show his passion for film. I think that kind of that's kind of a good little story. Whether you're a fan of his now or not, because it shows what you know that video shop thing. It's almost like a cliche now. And make this small film. Just so happened he was a brilliant writer, you know. Hmm. And from there you, know, you get Harvey Keitel
1: on board. We had just gotten away from the cops. He just got shot. It was my fault. He got shot. He's a fucking bloody mess. He's screaming. I swear to God, I thought he was
4: gonna die right then and there, I'm trying to comfort him. Telling him not to worry, everything's gonna be okay, I'm gonna take care of him. And he asked me what my name was. I mean, the man was dying in my
1: arms. What the fuck was I supposed to do? Tell him I'm sorry? I can't give out that fucking information. To get the rules, I don't trust you enough. Or maybe I should have, but I couldn't. I mean, fuck you and fuck
4: Joe! Yeah, I'm sure it was a very beautiful scene between you. Don't fucking patronize me! I question for you. Do they have a sheet on you where you're from? Yeah! Well, that's that then, man. I
3: mean, Jesus Christ, I was worried about much of the possibilities as it was. Now he knows A, you name B, what you look like, C, where you're from, and D, what your specialty is. They're not going to have to show him a hell of a lot of pictures for him to pick you out. I mean that's it, right? You didn't tell him anything else, I can narrow
1: down the selection. If I have to tell you again to back off, me and you're gonna go round and round. We ain't taking him to a hospital.
0: But we know he's gonna die. And I'm very sad about that, but some fellas are lucky and some ain't. What the fuck are you touching me for, man?
1: I think of something like the Blair Witch project, which, you know, was made for ten dollars <laughs> or whatever it was. It was it was just a bunch of friends that coming together to film something you know no scripts no no real structure just on the fly you know looked incredibly low budget handheld that it, it but, but ended up i think it stands one of the most profitable films of all time purely based on how cheap it was to create yet how insanely popular it was at the box office so i mean that that's independent cinema where it's like they weren't even considering the fact of box office on their mind when they were making it and that kind of wraps up independent film to me is that box office is not the main goal it's more just let's let's create something and see what happens
3: yeah i mean i'll I'll second the quentin tarantino i I, usually when i think indies i automatically jump to pulp fiction it's like that's sort of the line of demarcation you know that was such an influential film and everything that came after it and uh that's usually the one that kind of jumps out to me i think of first
4: mm. yeah i think the same uh I, I, it's it's even like before pop fiction after pop fiction mm-hmm. kind of thing you know uh yeah uh most people think about it uh when you and when you're in the, the scene of um independent cinema and uh, miramats uh is the studio for uh right uh excellence you know of what was an independent uh studio main main. so Uh I think also you think about the genre mm. as well it's not
2: independent films not a genre but it certainly addressed a type of genre that was perhaps not all fluffy and light like Disney films Mm. you know the uh, Tarantino again but other like changing the narratives changing how we end films you know films about bad people uh, anti-heroes all that was kind of it's, we've always had that, you know, but um, it certainly brought that to the forefront, that kind of expression of, well, this is, this is things don't always ha- have happy endings and, you
0: know. Yeah, I think there's a, a great deal of risk-taking sort of involved in, in um, mm. independent filmmaking and I think you kind of also have to be a bit different to what, the, what's coming out of the main studio so you do see like you know more violence and r-rated type of you know storylines and stuff so i think that's a, it's kind of like a, a sort of rejection of anything mainstream <laughs> at least you know, at least that's what i think uh, independent film is grassroots is yeah the
2: studios don't want to fuck out to, to make these films either they were not like mm. they, did, they didn't see the profit they didn't see the oh well people aren't going to want to see that they, they do now kind of more so than but early 90s were like no we're not making
1: <laughs> yeah I think I think you're kind of, you, when you're freed from the constraints of studios, you're not having like test screenings, you're not having, you know, uh, focus groups about every single scene and every single part of the script. And you, you're really doing what you want to do, what the filmmakers want to do, what the director, what the screenwriter, what the actors, there's, there's no one sort of over. Controlling every little aspect of it to fit a certain mold, or to meet a certain demographic, or to make a certain amount of money—it's just about the film and the art itself. You're you're not having that domineering force of a studio really controlling the picture. And I mean, I, I guess that works in certain types of filmmaking because obviously then it leads to a certain type of product that meets the the market that it needs to, but. Independent cinema doesn't look at things in that that kind of narrow aspect, and you're right. Like it doesn't have the the, the constraints of uh, censorship or worrying about offending people or upsetting people. It's, it it just focuses on we know what we want to make and we know what we need to do to get it made, and let's do it. Let's let's not worry about what happens afterwards.
0: Let's let's go back in time. Okay, <laughs> so. Um, I think we should go back to Robin, when you were uh, a young man.
2: Oh, uh, we're going go that far back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, so the 80s and the 90s, this seems to be like your era, really. This is like what you say You're when you started getting interested in, in film. Yeah. Uh, I was a wee baby back then. Well, I
2: I was born like when, when the blockbusters were, were the 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 thing, you know. So when I was grew up with Spielberg and things like that and then as I became like a teenager and started to appreciate more than just that, you know, the late eighties was like um and the early nineties which is when I became a teenager. Um, so sort of films was changing like and then I saw this like documentary and like Channel Four which is a UK channel, which Bianco obviously know. And they're they're like like pioneers of like showing us what independent mm. cinemas, especially from America. So there's all these films like and directors we know now like Spike Lee, um, Gus Van Sant, and Robert Rodriguez. You know El Mariachi. I don't know if anyone's seen it. Um, Drugstar Cowboy, Do the Right Thing, um, Mystery Train. You know Jim Jammush you've got these directors watching these films and a lot of them weren't readily available but I've seen these films where there's this, just the expression of these films and then when Reservoir Dogs came out I went to see it with my mother for from a, from my a birthday and she, by the way, she hates she hates violence so I don't know what possessed her to watch this <laughs> and it is, it's like it was like a film I'd not seen before and I think that's not yeah. just my age I think at any age I'm going to see that film I think you, you'll go... Well, I've not seen a film like that before, because in half of it, three quarters of it's just people yapping, and the rest is, like, intense violence. Mm. And I, I was like, when I came out, I was kind of stunned. I, mean, I was only, like, a teenager then, and I was like, this is... I wasn't 18 either, so I don't tell anyone. much. <laughs> but my mum was like, oh, that was bloody awful. But... <laughs> I was like, um, uh, um, was it? Was it that? <laughs> and then I watched it when it came out on video, I watched it again, and then I thought, this is amazing. And then Pulp Fiction came along, and the rest is history, but... And when I was at college, in school, I was writing, I wanted to be a writer, so I was writing these screenplays, and I wanted to be influenced by someone. I, I, I like Goddard, then. I was a bit of a pretentious teenager. <laughs> I like I like Goddard. Goddard just, like... This is crazy how he makes these films like the talking, and then he edits to this, and then it's the jump cuts and what is? I want to write these films. So I started writing, um, and films like Hal Hartley who made the unbelievable truth. Whit Stillman, who made Metropolitan, I'm sure you know these films. Linklater, you know who he is. He made Slacker, um, mm. Sex Lies Videotape, Soderbergh. You know people thought that was a boring film. I was fascinated by these films, so I started writing like that, and this was like my inspiration. And I haven't written for a while, but I think I still write like that, so I almost found my niche as a fan of film, but also as somebody who wanted to write, write these films.
4: Harvard?
3: It's a college.
1: It's expensive.
3: You can't put a price tag on a thing like that, Vic.
1: You can put a price tag on anything, Liz. Didn't you apply anywhere else? No. I'm going to be paying for this the rest of my life.
3: Victor, aren't you proud of her? I'm not going anyway. Well, I'll be lucky for a lot in September.
1: Shut up, you. Of course you're going to college. Why, it says right here in the paper that the present workforce between the ages of 21 and 35 is the most highly educated and the highest paid in American history. That's what you have to contend with.
3: But, Dad, history is coming to an end.
1: What's she talking about?
3: The end of the world. By the way, Vic, the washing machine is busted.
1: Audrey, the world is not going to come to an end when there's so many people making so much money. What's this about the washing machine? It's busted.
3: We just bought the damn thing. What's wrong with
1: it? It just shoots water all over the place.
3: Come on, you got any Valium?
1: Hold it a minute. I want to talk about this Harvard thing.
3: Dad, I'm going to be late for school. Bullshit. Vic.
1: I hope you're saving the money you're making at Burger World. I quit.
2: So yes, and that was coincided with the independent cinema of America. i think we're going to touch on the european stuff soon but america like really came to life you know with the america and it people say that this opened the door for indies but i think you'll find that independent cinema opened the door for a lot of other things to come Mm. including tarantino including the the big companies like miramax and studios then started chasing after these films you know these directors come work for me come work for me tarantino opened a few doors but some people opened a few doors for him you know Spike Lee, Gus Van Sant. You know these these directors, um, Todd Haynes. I don't. Know, he, he made Poisoners. I don't know if anyone's seen that. These were all like flourishing in the, at the time. So late eighties, early nineties was when I was maturing, sort of the film adolescence <laughs> for myself. But
0: yeah, I think it's um, really interesting to see sort of what happened prior to that sort of explosion because obviously we're talking you know the 80s is often like nobody likes the 80s in film I don't think I've come across anyone who's like said the 80s is the best decade for filmmaking Um, so I think it's almost like inevitable that that sort of happened and like you know there was a backlash to all these because you had some dreadful films coming out in the 80s um uh, being made by the studios who uh, i just think about all those awful slasher films that came out and those weird sex comedies you know <laughs> which really would not get made today um and i think like it's almost like you kind of need that sort of um a period of just junk in order to get everybody sort of fired up and thinking we need to go and make a change and I think that's what happened and I think that's quite interesting to see because you kind of see that with the 60s there's yeah. like you know what was coming out in the 1960s by the studios and the result of that was not you know ended up in New Hollywood um, which you know to me it's the 1970s is the best period of filmmaking I think at least in terms of if we are thinking about American cinema I think we're kind of seeing that coming back now as like independent film now coming back but then we're seeing stuff like Netflix you know which come on I'm sorry Spielberg you're wrong <laughs> on so many levels um, mm. you know that this, we're seeing like people are wanting content that is different to what they're seeing and you know constantly and that's what I think independent films d- deals with stories that are on a much smaller basis and aren't these big massive movies with flying robots <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but a lot of these films we see you know like we get screeners for or whatever and there's some films don't even, can't even find like a distributor mm. some of these films are better than a lot of the films like you know money's put up from it's, it's quite tragic really, that even today films are still kind of can get screened at festivals but nobody's nobody will take them on yeah
3: which is why films I mean,
2: like camp film festival is so important and these mm. other and these other festivals as well
0: yeah and obviously in the like 90s you did have festivals becoming more of a um take I, I i mean like they've always sort of been taken seriously at least some of them but i think you saw sort of you know sundance happen and then it was like uh, this is a big thing and then you know i think that's led on to us having more and more festivals which gives you know independent film a, a better chance to get getting seen and hopefully picked up
1: once independent films also started getting attention by the oscars that that certainly helped and i don't like to credit harvey weinstein with that (laughs) but as much as that makes me want to throw up in my mouth he (laughs) certainly was one of the first to kind of start pushing those independent films towards the major you know award season and when that when something either is nominated or wins then certainly the general public definitely pay a lot more attention to those films and performances as well and hopefully then try and seek them out which back in the day was was probably quite difficult obviously you know you would rush to your your local video store and they may or may not have those titles and i guess that that's where you're saying like something like netflix now is such a blessing because you you may not have ha- had the opportunity to see a lot of these films before, and yet now they're all well within your reach. And that that's a huge change, because it's just that accessibility factor opens the world to independent film like never before.
4: Yeah, and add, add to that, uh, uh, companies like Criterion and Janus Films mm. and Kino, Kino Lerber, that you know managed to get these films and distribute them uh with physical copies you know that so everyone can have them uh if they have access you know to 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 their sites and have the money to pay for for the copies you know uh filmstruck was another pioneering that that we can have access to these films via the internet like netflix um and the criterion channel of course that is supposed to you know uh premiere uh the next month i think in april it is april, that yeah. is going to pre- mm-hmm. april yeah. yes i i can't wait <laughs> so yes. we can't we can see these films uh today you know i want to add to to what bianca said earlier about how somehow the indie explosion the indie boom that we have in the 90s is a response to all the blockbusters from the 80s uh it reminded me a lot about uh, neorealism, Italian neorealism, that it was a response to all the films that came before that were called like white telephone films, I think it was called. Uh, they were like sort of rom-coms, uh, Italian rom-coms that they were like melodramas and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And then, you know, uh, Sabatini began like, no, we need this kind of films that uh, deal with real problems that we're facing with people that are not actors, you know, uh, making this, uh, pro- no professionals, you know, like the Bicycle thieves and other movies that came in the time, uh, Roma, Abier- uh, Abierta, uh, Rome Open City, yeah. all that stuff, you know, that were a response to all that melodrama films that, uh, like Sabatini said, meant nothing to Italian history, Italian culture. Uh unless you were rich, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think as well, if you think about what had happened to Italy as a country, it's, you know, it had had, you know, it, its major um, film production, you know, um, destroyed, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there weren't these uh, studios bat for them to actually go film on. So they d- you know, they didn't have much of a choice but to go and and film on the streets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and I think, uh, for me, that's where, I I mean, I don't really know much about independent film prior to the 1950s, um, which, you know, there must have been independent films being made, uh, I guess, but it just really wasn't, (laughs) I guess they, they weren't really shown or...
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, United Artists, you know, attempted to be sort of the independent, didn't they? The, well, the translation of that back then and of what independent cinema that you know they wanted to go their own way, so to speak, which is kind of, I suppose, early indie. I don't think you'd call it indie cinema, but but you know what I mean? The, those four wanted to kind of go their mm-hmm. own way away from the yeah. the, the big guns.
4: Maybe something like RKO too can count like something yeah. like uh in the cinema but you know, RKO had Citizen Kane, had uh King Kong, so I don't know. I think that doesn't count as in the cinema in my eyes. So yeah, it's it's I
0: don't it's difficult to, to determine. But uh, you know, with Italian neorealism, I, I think if you it's a good sort of springboard into what? we define uh, as an independent film now you know mm-hmm. being yeah. shot on location having non-actors um, for example you know the Flora project which is i guess that you know we would refer to as an indie film nowadays that you know is shot on location and is you know does have a cast that are made up of mostly non-professional actors you know I'm not saying that it's an example of an Italian neo-realist film but you can sort of see the um influence yeah okay i warned you one drip and you're out
3: oh come on out now it's gonna melt outside it's melting
0: inside too but
3: bobby out
2: (laughs) thank you very much
3: you're not welcome
2: yeah
0: well (laughs) a lot of these directors that came out in the 70s did start in independent film with uh is it robert corman yeah. Explo- roger, 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 roger corman. corman i roger corman i should know this oh <laughs> damn i failed I, th- I have to hand in my degree in facts
3: now. <laughs> <laughs> let me just make it out there it's 37 minutes of it oh thank god we'll cut that part out
0: yeah. uh yes um uh, but they did start their careers
3: yeah
0: in in that sort of independent filmmaking i mean these weren't great films i mean it allowed these filmmakers to get the you know the best way to to learn about filmmaking mm, is to mm. actually make a
1: film and e- even with spielberg something like jaws like that that was his sort of baptism of fire he was not an experienced filmmaker and probably never should have been given that film to begin with because he didn't have the experience to, to kind of run the show. But, you know, the end result shows that that that's where creativity breeds when you're under pressure like that. And I think independent cinema definitely looks at it that way in that you don't have to be the most experienced filmmaker in the world, but then can go on to studio films because you've proven your worth. And certainly something like uh, the Florida project with, Sean Baker, he, with Tangerine, he filmed that on an iPhone.
4: Yeah, I read something here, and I have a book of history of film here right in my hand, and I highlighted something that I wanted to read. Uh, I think it's important for this conversation. It says, and quote, The advent of low-cost, low cost, high-end digital film equipment at the consumer level meant that indie producers were no longer dependent on the technical mm-hmm. resources of the major studios. By the mm-hmm. 2010s, thousands of small companies could produce films for a fraction of the cost of Hollywood product. Post-production was also rendered inexpensive by nonlinear editing software available for home computers. And I end quote. This is from the book, uh, A History of Narrative Film by David A. Cook. Uh, I think that's important to consider when talking about indie films, that now... Uh, the post-production process and even the, the production process is cheaper. So mm. more filmmakers can do their dream film, their, their, their you know, their, the ideas can, can be done because it's cost effective. Not like before that they had to depend on a 35 millimeters camera or something like that and a professional editor, you know, uh, that had to work at the studio to make, to cut the film. Uh, in a certain way, now you can do it in your computer and with a, uh, you know, with a program that specializes in it, and...
0: Well, I was just going to say that, where as Joel just mentioned about, like, editing, and, you know, now that we have access to more, sort of, that software, I was thinking of um, the film Monsters. Uh, is it Gareth Edwards? Uh, he's the director who then went yeah. on to do... Um, one of the Star Wars films, Rogue mm-hmm. Nation or whatever. Donkey Rogue, Rogue One. Rogue Nation is a one. completely <laughs> different film. Uh, All right, so
2: 42 minutes. <laughs> and an <hour. laughs>
0: and then. Um, Well, Gareth Edwards, um, he made Monsters, which if we saw seen Monsters, I don't think we would have realized that it was made on such a small budget because that mm, film mm. does not look like it's made on a small budget. Oh. I mean, it's a, it's a monster movie. You know those tend to be, uh, have huge budgets Uh, but he did all the sort of after effects and special effects on his laptop in his bedroom. Mm. Definitely Uh, amazing. So So yeah. He did Star Wars as well. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, If he did that was amazing. Uh, But talking about Star Wars. The original Star Wars, would we say that that is an independent film?
1: I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my
0: boss. It could be
4: argued. I don't know. George Lucas wasn't that known at the time, right? Or, well, he had a film already made, but I don't know.
0: Um, Well, he had American Graffiti. Yeah,
4: yeah, that's what I thought too.
0: Hmm.
4: I just... But, but, uh, sorry. But the visual effects were practical, so
0: maybe that lowered the cost of production, right? Right. I don't know whether you can say... I mean, it certainly is a film that, you know, wasn't made before. Um, I don't think it kind of had, you know, um, major stars in it, you
1: know? No, no. Right. I don't think anyone was expecting that to sort of become... The Colossus. It has become decades and decades later. I don't think anyone making that thought this was some sort of B-grade space movie that's probably going to end up on VHS somewhere and that'll be that. I don't. I don't think anyone really thought this is going to be become the highest-grossing movie in the world.
3: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you definitely can make the case for it. You know, now we look back and you think of Lucasfilm as kind of this huge studio but yeah i mean back then you know it wasn't that big name that it is now
0: well there you go um indie film it's either florida project or
3: star wars (laughs) (laughs) one of the largest blockbusters ever it's an indie film there we go
0: (laughs) why aren't we all making star wars that's what i've got call yourself an indie filmmaker, you're not an indie filmmaker until you've made Star Wars. So, but yeah, Robin. Yeah. So we've spoken about Italian neorealism. Mm-hmm. What came after?
2: French New Wave, possibly. Sort of late, late fifties. I remember when the French filmmakers was like, Trevor, got a, were like, Well, Goddard, I think, was the main culprit. I think Truffaut was quite a nice fella. (laughs) I think Goddard was like, Oh, no, French cinema's rubbish. And he kind of, like, slammed the Cannes Film Festival as well, and I think they kicked him out. But I I remember rightly, like, Goddard was, like, a a massive ambassador of people like Milos Forman, you know, these these up-and-coming European filmmakers, you know, who made great films after. And he was right, in a way, because then what happened was he was kicked out of Cannes, and then Truffaut won Best Director for... The 400 Blows. And I'm going to admit, some of the, these. this film called Breathless. So I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it. but
0: Oh, yeah, Richard, um, what's his face Richard, starred in it?
2: Richard Gere, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <coughs> and then it was remade into this French... Oh, hang on, no. No, it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, so let me look at the sort of the French new way of those directors. Uh, Agnes Varda, as well. So he had that sort of new type of way of, way of editing, telling stories, almost like narratively.
4: Goddard is a trip. It's like an acid trip. I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in the 60s, like, he was making like at least a film a year, sometimes two. You know, uh, Little Soldier is brilliant. Um, Band of Outsiders. These are some of my favourite films. It was an exciting time though because it was like French, <laughs> French filmmakers going, "Well, no, well these are, these are not good films. These commercial films," and he was they were kind of criticizing French cinema, not necessarily, you know, the world. But um, does anyone know Eric Ramirez?
4: Yeah, I know he was he was one of the members of the Cahiers du <laughs> Cinema uh, that yeah. was with Truffaut and and Goulart. Uh There were five of them. I don't know the <laughs> other. I forgot the other two uh chabrol i think
2: chabrol, yeah it was. Yeah, was. yeah um but anyway like Romeo was uh-huh. making films till he was like 150 right into like the 90s um i'm a massive fan of his like one of the best writers and his screenplays i don't know how much you know about him but influenced a lot of the the 90s indie stuff i was talking about you know like gus van Sant and whit stillman even Linklater at some extent you know characters just talk about feelings and relationships.
0: That's what I kind of like is in these type of films that you do it's not all about getting to one plot point to the next you know because really not much happens in Breathless. I mean he steals a car goes up goes to see a girl and then they spend most of like a good 20 minutes sat in bed
2: of course, changed American cinema as well. <clears throat> not not whole, but, but partly like in the late 60s, like Bianca mentioned about how American cinema became darker, grittier, more realistic.
0: Well, if you l- look at something like Bonnie and Clyde, they're mm-hmm. so yeah. very heavily influenced by okay. uh, French new wave cinema, I think to the point that Truffaut was on board to be the director um, before it was... Um, passed on to Arthur Penn. Arthur Penn, yeah. He yeah. Penn. yeah. Oh yeah. my god, I got one
3: right. The phrase that I love is you hear people like Martin Scorsese talk about a visual vocabulary too. It's like any language you have, you know, there are sentences and words and these structures that help build up that vocabulary. Well, film is the same way. And that's one of the reasons I love going back and looking at, you know, movies that influenced the ones that I love. You can kind of see how, you know, this director kind of built their visual vocabulary and then, you know, turned it into these movies we love today. And I, I think that's always a fascinating thing to do. One example I've had, you know, one of my favorite, um, I guess you would say, in indie um, in, in the modern era is um, 2011's Drive uh, mm. with Ryan Gosling. And uh, recently then, I went back and watched the 1967 French film Le Samurai, and you can see how Drive is so influenced by that movie, and it's, there's some similarities there. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just, I think it's fascinating to see, you know, find the directors and the, and the genres that you love, and then go back and see, okay, what, what influenced those, and how did they kind of grow from what came before?
1: Yeah, and I think Tarantino is a great example of that. Is that I had never really watched spaghetti westerns and all that that mm. kind of genre of film, but then uh, I think I was studying at uni and we had to look at, the, at that that genre and. From the moment I started watching those, it was like, OK, this is where so much of Tarantino's visuals come from, so much of his structure and his music cues and the narrative style. It's so obvious. And, I mean, he's obviously been open about that that's where his inspiration comes from. But when you watch those films and it's like, OK, I, I, I kind of understand his aesthetic a lot more knowing the films that he not only watched, but the films that he loved and was influenced by. And that's what he's infused into his films. Uh, a modern context, he's put, put spin on it that, that it seems something fresh and new, particularly to audiences who aren't familiar with those sorts of genres and films. And I, I love when a filmmaker can do that. And it's it just shows that they have that deep respect for what's come before while still pushing forward with their own viewpoints, with their own ideas and styles, but always paying homage to, you know, the decades of cinema that have come before that obviously shaped them as a filmmaker.
0: So, okay, we've had Italian neorealism, We've had a French new wave. Um, I'm going to just quickly mention something else, um, which I think is quite important. I, I don't realise that I, I think that people kind of, dismiss it, maybe it, just like forget about it, but the British new wave movement of the Ooh. of the sixties i uh, uh, do do any guys know about it
2: um yeah i'm I'm familiar with uh you mean like Tom Cartney films and Julie christie and
0: yeah, yeah, and obviously you had the the swinging sixties where you had Alfie and those type of films and you had the what isn't referred to as the kitchen sink dramas so you had um uh, yeah billy liar a taste of honey
2: yeah
0: but they all sort of were made on a low budget they were you know uh, mostly non-professional actors i guess they weren't really sort of well-known actors I mean we think of Michael Caine today and he's like a household name but there was a time where Michael Caine was just you know some some bloke who who spoke in a Cockney accent you know um but I think the I think the British films are kind of ones that get almost forgotten about when we talk about ind- independent film well I think like um, The 90s for British cinema was really good. I mean, you had the Crying Game. You have films like Trainspotting. You know, Danny Boyle with his movies. Is it hard to remain an independent filmmaker? Because we, like I say, I mean, I mentioned Gareth Edwards then going on at Star Wars. Mm.
3: Ryan Coogler. Mm. Yeah. Ryan Coogler, I think,
4: but, director of Football Station, then. He directed Creed, and now he directed Black Panther. I think it's a perfect modern example of that.
1: I think that the studios obviously see th- that it's a launching pad for to get their attention, and not that all independent filmmakers want to start making studio films, but when they come calling and they're offering you giant budgets and... I think the studios now are maybe a little more willing to give independent filmmakers the freedom to remain somewhat independent. By all accounts, Ryan Coogler with Black Panther was given pretty free rein by Disney to create the, the look, the style, the narrative that he wanted. And I think in the past, a studio would have swallowed up a filmmaker like him, controlled him to the nth degree, you know, made the film that they wanted to make rather than the film that the filmmaker wanted to make. And I'd like to believe that's still the majority of the case, but you certainly hear from a lot of filmmakers, you know, their, their experiences with studios are not great, particularly early on because, yeah, they've made this great indie film that maybe made a lot of money or captured some awards attention, but we're still a studio and we're still gonna tell you what to do. Whereas obviously when they're working in that independent frame, they don't have that pressure
2: he got to, Kukla got to take his collaborators with him as well, which is kind of, yeah, is yeah. kind of like the, 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 the fairy tale of that of that whole process. Exactly.
3: Right. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, I think you can look at people like, you know, Darren Aronofsky. I mean, he certainly makes films, I think, <laughs> very much his own way. Yeah. <laughs> um, even, you know, like the Coen brothers. Uh, you know, they kind of, they got their start. You know, Blood Simple, I think, is something we'd look at as an indie film. Stick your
2: finger
4: off the wrong person's ass. <laughs> you know, you know Friend of mine a while back broke his hand and put in a cast. The very next day he falls, protects his bad hand, and he breaks his good one. So now he breaks that too, you know? So now he's got two busted slippers. You know? So I said to him, I said, Creighton, I hope your wife really loves you, because for the next five weeks you can't even wipe your own goddamn hat. <laughs>
3: That's the test, ain't that? Test the true law.
4: I got a job for you. <laughs>
3: uh,
0: well, it pays
3: right and it's legal, I'll do it. And as they've gotten bigger, to me their movies still have this feel, that kind of indie feel to them. They're very much Noah Cohen Brothers movie when you see it, right? It's very mm. unique and they do things their way even if they're still working in the studio system. So maybe there are some like that that have opened some doors. and.
0: Grab your pen and paper and get some uh, notes down. Let's uh, get some in- indie recommendations. Who wants to list a few? Doug, do,
2: do, do you want to just quickly touch on like Australian? Is there anything like from down under, independent uh. class, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You would like us to see? I know we've done this recently on the podcast,
1: but... You uh, yeah, too, too much well, content. I mean, not to brag, but given we gave the world the very first feature film, we gave the world the very first <laughs> independent feature film as well in the story of the <laughs> Kelly Gang. Um, but it, it's interesting with the, the history of our independent filmmaking, obviously working in the early 1900s, there were no studios, so everything was independent, but... Um, From the history I kind of looked up, around 1912, the government got a lot more involved and, and actually actively started funding and commissioning films. And since then, we don't have a huge landscape of independent Australian films purely because the funding is there uh, and and this country really does uh, sort of honour filmmaking and want to create films, then I wouldn't say that in that regard they're studio films, but there is some involvement from government funding, which I guess gives some control that it's not a purely independent sense. But in saying that, there's, there were probably two examples that were huge successes that were fully independent films, and that was Mad Max and Crocodile Dundee. Uh, neither of those films could get funding from the Australian government for content reasons. They were freed from that control, so they made the film they wanted to make. And it. it I, I, I'm sure Crocodile Nunday was like nominated for Best Screenplay at the Oscars or something crazy like that. Paul Hogan him. ended up hosting. He hosted the Oscars. Like, it was a phenomenon like this country has never seen, and that was a fully independent film with... That they they raised the funds themselves and they created it. So,
2: so Bianca, what do you uh, do? You have any recommendations for us or everybody else?
0: I would definitely say, um, you know, Danny Boyle's very early works. I consider as quite independent. I, I think Train Spotting is quite an independent film, and same with Shallow Grave. But The Crying Game I've mentioned. I think that's a very independent film, and again is. Uh, I feel that really sort of helped put British cinema sort of back on the map because it kind of almost sort of had fallen off by then. Um, we were making a lot of period dramas and stuff, but then you know, nineties we saw more of a a revolution in that type of indie indie scene. So, um, but recently I've a good time, and obviously all the, anything from the new wave and Italian new
3: I'm I've lived in Indiana here in the Midwest uh, United States my whole life and there was a film that came out recently called Columbus it takes place yeah. in in Indiana town that in real life has all these great uh, it's kind of known as an architecture mecca here in the uh, in the Midwest but the film is just I, one of my favorites uh, you know in the last years and uh, very much an independent film in fact I think it just recently got a um, Blu-ray and DVD release. I've been meaning to pick it up, but uh, that's one that I, I would highly recommend to a- anybody. It's um, from uh, Koganada, who's the director, and he used to do like video essays, and I think I just saw that he got his next project uh, greenlit, but yeah, that movie's fantastic, so I highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. And then another one I was going to mention, I don't think we've talked about it yet, but just in talking about independent film history in America, one that kind of stands out Um, was a uh, 1955 Best Picture winner, Marty. Um, And that one was very much an underdog, independent production. Um, Nobody really thought it was going to, you know, and then boom, it comes, wins Best Picture. um, And I feel like it doesn't get talked about as much anymore, but that was an early Patty Chayefsky screenplay, and then he went on to, you know, make some, have so many great screenplays so those are two columbus and and marty that i kind of list some of my favorites
4: yeah well in my case i can recommend american films but i'm from puerto rico so i'm gonna like (laughs) recommend a few films like that uh are independent because most the films most of the films we make here in puerto rico are indie so are they're not government funded uh So, yeah, something like, and I think the title is in Spanish because I don't believe they're supposed to be tell in another language. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Guagua Aerea, for example, Broche de Oro, something like Mal de Amores from the 2000s, and obviously Lo Que Le Paso a Santiago, which was the only film ever in Puerto Rican history that got nominated for best foreign language film uh, in the Oscars, and it probably will be the only time because we can't compete in, the, in that category because we're a U.S. territory. So yeah, oh, thanks. That's ridiculous. Uh, that's, yeah,
2: that, that is ridiculous mm. because the U.K. have submitted films based on the language. You know, um, mm. Welsh films. Uh, an Iranian film recently was was shortlisted. Based yeah, on, um, so it I'm, should be based on the I'm language spoken rather than. Yeah, yeah so um, I'll just recommend a few of, just from the same era that I keep banging on about, which is sort of eighty-nine, ninety-nine, one ninety-two, uh, Metropolitan, which I mentioned, which is a really intelligent film. Slacker, Richard Linkler, it's just like goes from one character to the next, really clever film, and it's like a bunch of conversations. The Unbelievable Truth like a really quirky comedy. And this, like, Hal Hartley was, you can see he's influenced by like Godard as well. Um, and Clarks I think Clerks, everyone's seen Clerks, but mm. a, as, a, as a first feature, that's like a must because it's so funny, mm. so clever. And you can see the restraints. You know, mm. it's mm. all just in a shop and that and that's not deliberate, you know, so. And three sort of international films from that era, Le Femme Nikita, which was like one of Luc Besson's first films. You wouldn't believe it was a low-budget film when you watch it. Uh, women, women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. How murder? Oh her. yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's you know, great. That's probably the film that made him like a household name finally. Um, and then Raise the Red Lantern, which was like the Chinese cinema was making a comeback as well. Raise the Red Lantern was another film that doesn't look independent.
1: I was just going to say, like a a good sort of frame of reference if you look back at the indie spirit award for best film of, of those are nominees that goes back to 1985 and if you just went through and watched pretty much everything there that gives you a great certainly snapshot of the 80s 90s and recent years um but i mean another recommendation this is something i often do is just, just go to film festivals and like go and see things that you have no base knowledge of Grab one of those kind of multi-pass things And see a bunch of films Even if you know nothing about them Um, Mm -hmm. Film festivals are obviously the greatest Collection of independent cinema Every year Kind of just give yourself independent films that They could just open your eyes and grab you Because you're not coming in with any expectations You don't have ten trailers Like you do with studio films (laughs) You probably don't, don't have a lot of critics reviews Or film twitter telling you about them Or whether you should or shouldn't like them you really get to have a, a great cold experience with those independent films because there's no expectation there's no there's no heightened sense of I know what this film is going to be and I know what I want it to be you allow it to be whatever it is on the screen so and I know that pretty much most cities in the world now have a, have a film festival um, so that the accessibility is so much better than it was once upon a time so it's out there and you just have kind of have to go along and find find what you like and You you never know what you're going to get.